0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network i'm sorry you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like
1: is that going to have a crack he is you know oh I-
2: The goal-scoring formality commentator intonation. The best off-pitch storming the Premier League has ever seen. What it means for a team to come unstuck. Gary Neville pops up in Squid Game. What a job Kieran McKenna is doing up slash down slash over there at Portman Road. The most Euro-Z Euro 2024 group that didn't play for Mark Hughes's Man City but really should have done 11. The height limit to be a maestro. And Richard Keyes gets the keys to the theatre of dreams. Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This... Is Football Clichés. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry, and on the adjudication panel today, of course, is Charlie Eccleshire. How's it going? Yeah, very well, thanks. And David Walker. How are things? Yeah, very good. Little update for you about my QPR-supporting neighbour. I met him for the first time the other day, having only um, known his uh, Wi-Fi network, was called Loftus Road. Discovered that his uh, his number plate is W12, which is an extra layer of... Of fandom. Charlie, so yeah, I met him for the first time outside the house, laid down some early stages small talk. Do you get down there much? He's an athletic subscriber and he bemoaned how much he doesn't want to read about the Turkish second division, which I thought was a great touch, a great choice of division. Walking to the Turkish second division. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So after all of that, I think I'm now ready for level two chat with Mr. QPR, Charlie, and that will be... What do you make of Marty Sifuentes?
1: Nice. Yeah, I was thinking, as you said that, all I would have had to go with was something like, like Ains- Ainsworth's not still there, is he? Yeah. <laughs> he's gone, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's gone,
3: yeah. You, you like the new guy? How much do you want to reveal your hand? Because you could go, what do you think? He's done all right, hasn't he, so far? He's he, he
2: oh,
1: yeah, picked up I sh- a bit, haven't you?
2: You know, let's not suggest this is all one way. I imagine he's sat in his house thinking right now, oh God, any day soon, he's going to ask me about what I make of Marty Sifuentes, and I've got to come up with an answer.
1: <laughs> Yeah, well, he'll be thinking what we were talking about. He'll be thinking, how much do I dumb it down? How much is this guy really interested? Have I got a compromise on what I really think about Cifuentes?
2: It's the worst question to ask. It really is. There's never a good answer.
1: Not to dwell on this too much, but on the on the, on the
3: the Wi-Fi network, it strikes me as though that might be quite easy to hack. If his number plate's W12, his, his Wi-Fi's Loftus Road, I think, I think the password's got to be QPR related. Which player do you think it is? Ooh, Kevin Gallon. Les Ferdinand. Yeah, Ferdinand
2: sounds about right. Kevin Gallen, I actually think, because he, he might be a little bit sort of more obscure. Seles. I <laughs> really hope he doesn't listen to
1: this. Seles and <laughs> the year of his birth.
2: Anyway, sorry about that, Daryl. Uh, on we go. Right, this is the adjudication panel and we begin with the hottest topic of the weekend, which was Manchester City 3, Tottenham 3. Charlie, you were there. How was it? <laughs>
1: Nice throwback. I just felt
2: obliged to say that. (laughs) View from the lane, everybody.
1: It was very good. Thank you. Yes. A thriller minute.
2: Right, well let's um let's Take a vaguely chronological look at the uh, biggest talking points for our purposes. The first one, and Charlie, you called this at the time about how you thought Erling Haaland's miss um, when City were, I think it was 1-1, wasn't it? You thought it was the most he is human after all miss in Premier League history, which I I sympathise with. I didn't want to go back through my mental Rolodex to actually disprove it. But I thought this really helped your cause. This is Peter Drury for Haaland's miss in the 13th minute. And I think this is the most he is human after all 1.6 seconds of football Commentary of all
0: time. Oh, lost here to Bernardo Silva. And oh dear. Did that really happen?
2: Not many players, not many strikers, Charlie, could earn themselves that that commentary tone as they as they almost convert a shot um it was very formality wasn't it that tone
1: yeah it was i mean it was all natural that's the thing yeah because it's completely he's he's gearing up for it. yeah i realized obviously because i was in the stadium and like when i said that i was like i hope you don't think i'm listening to the commentary and sort of because i was like there's a decent chance Drury has actually said those words in which case all <laughs> i would have been doing was <laughs> parroting what Drury has said but yeah it, it definitely struck me as that
2: um dave there are, i mean I love talking about this, although I don't think we've ever quite got to grips with it. But the, the commentary tone of voice, I really do love the formality tone of a striker's name being said as they, as they convert what looks to be an, a 0.7 XG chance. It's, it's a really interesting part of the commentator's
3: handbook. That one. It's the Dave Walker and Harland. Yeah, I, we had to go for it. You know, you you expect him to score. Obviously, I think the I think the angle you're looking, uh, he would have been looking away to his right, same same as we saw it on the TV, and it, and it looks like it's in. It's not like one where you're behind it. You can see that it's going wide because it's because it's gone onto the near post from where you're sitting. So it looked for all the world that it was in Harland's evening. Of course, wasn't over his
2: fun was only just beginning um the storming off the pitch at the end charlie i think might be one of the best off pitch stormings there's ever been because it also included a stop to turn around and have a go at someone and then continuing the storming at the same pace that the original storming was which <laughs> makes it an all-timer storming for me i just i thought it was wonderful
1: he also went through a lot of different stages because at one point i thought he was gonna try and do a no you know what which i'm just gonna like galvanize the team and sort of say like you know it's all right we haven't we haven't won and kind of lift spirits but then he thought now nah, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just really, really annoyed and I can't control myself. <laughs> Dave, it was great to see
2: the uh, premium breaking silence Announcer sport bible revealing that Erling Haaland had furiously broken his silence after Simon Hooper's baffling 94th minute decision not to play advantage against Spurs. Uh, I timed that breaking of the silence between <laughs> final, I think it was between the decision being made by Simon Hooper and the article being published was 33 minutes I can't remember our
3: records but I think that might be right up there as a world record for silence breaking it furiously breaks silence as well presumably this was him quote tweeting a clip mm. with just this, the three letters WTF that was it is that furious is that a furious breaking of silence well it was
2: furious enough to um, not be mindful of the fact that that video was a illegally taken one and probably will be taken down which will undermine the quote tweet Charlie so he, had, he, he didn't have that in mind so it's probably He was quite furious after all.
1: I think, yeah, a couple of things on this. I think the record we established was Gareth Southgate after England went out of the World Cup broke his silence, which was in his kind of flash interview, which would have been, I mean, genuinely would have been minutes after the game... Finished, I think. But but what's so funny about this breaking of silence is that Haaland was never silent about. I mean, he he couldn't have been more vocal. Yeah, in the moment, it was very clear what like, feelings feeling. Finally, were. we know how Haaland feels about this. I mean, like he from the moment it happened, he was berating the ref and anyone who'd listened for about ten minutes solid. Like, I don't think there was ever a silence to be broken on this incident.
3: The one thing I think really added to the whole affair was when Haaland lets his hair down when, when and and the flowing locks are just there. It's, it really does adds a qual- an extra quality to so he just makes him look that much more wild and angry and it's incredible how horizontal his hair went and he wasn't walking at that much pace and I don't think it was that windy
2: I mean I didn't check with Peter Drury what the wind speed <laughs> was for the evening but um, the whole Streetful thing was win. incredible spectacle I think he's no player Dave is better designed to storm off a pitch than Erling Haaland it's all limbs you know, yeah. furious face. He really is. He's he's made for it. Yeah, cheat code
3: of off pitch storming. <laughs> Surely this is this is the most controversial non advantage of all time. I can't ever remember an, an, another. I mean, obviously because the context of it and the timing of it, but everything. But it's that's that's where we are now. We're going mental over non advantages. Well, before you say that. I mean, I have spent a lot. The last eighteen hours or
2: so, Charlie, between Simon Hooper not playing advantage for City at the end and recording this podcast, wondering if Jack Grealish would have actually gone on to score that one on one. I feel like I feel it's incumbent on us as as football journalists to assess that on its footballing merits. Do you think he would have scored? I actually, I'm naturally pessimistic about one on ones generally. I, I I just think the odds are generally stacked against the psychology of a footballer in that in that moment. But I just think. All things considered, the fact that he probably would have just got taken down by a Spurs player anyway, I don't think he would have scored for a multitude of reasons.
1: Yeah, has there not been a sort of football manager we simulated whether...
2: (laughs) Yeah, AI can continue (laughs) it on. (laughs) Yeah,
1: whether Green has scored or it's been done on FIFA or something or the boffins have got their kind of um, computers out. have been taken out though, right? I, yeah, I also, it's a really hard one to know because the moment at which he stops and the defender stops with the whistle, I think it's more likely, I don't think he would have scored necessarily. I think there's a reasonable chance he would have got close enough, then kind of checked back. Mm. Harlow would have made up the ground. And here comes Harland or here's Rodri and that might have happened. So it wouldn't have got, and Grealish! (laughs) No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not sure he would have had the legs to, to get there. Though he, he had come on as a sub, maybe yeah. he would have been a bit fresher. But he's not your
3: one-on-one merchant, is he? No. He's not the person you'd want from that Man City team to be and on the He scored the end one of... one-on-one for Manchester City, I can tell that you. That chance, yeah. I, th- I think you're right, Charlie. I think he would potentially have been pushed wide by the defender and then, yeah, cuts it back into the middle. Finally, then, on
2: the events at Eastlands, Dave Mitchell writes in, Charlie, says, how do we describe Kulusevski's header? There wasn't a vertical enough element for it to be towering. And it didn't quite feel thundering or a bullet as it arced slightly. Domineering? I won't accept domineering, Charlie, that's for sure. We can leave that one out.
1: That's a bit weird. You wouldn't describe the header as such, but I think you might say he's bundled it in, given it comes in off his shoulder whoa it's not a clean it's not clean by any means he do, he doesn't get the contact he wants it hits his shoulder and kind of loops up The weird thing about i mean it unquestionably did hit his shoulder dave to the point where i almost wanted to discount it
2: from our discussion here because it's still a very convincing headery shoulder like it, mm. there's, there's nothing lost <laughs> from it it's a weirdly good shouldering of the ball let's assume it was a header for just for a moment for our purposes I feel like it's quite crashing. It's quite a crashing header. Oh, crashing's good. I like Because it crashes into the defender as he does it, which I yeah. think helps.
3: Yeah, they did use on match of the day, I think the commentator said, and he's absolutely dominated Ake. And he did. Like, that was the most impressive part of it, was the the the, the early leap and just clattering Ake without it being a foul. Just, just a great example of being strong in the air yep. and winning the ball. But as you say, the contact lets it down slightly. I think it otherwise could potentially have been towering, but I like I like crashing. It had a,
2: it had a lot of precursors for towering, yeah. but I think the the trajectory of the ball then undermined that. So I think it's about mm. as close as you can get to crashing, really. But bundling, I'm definitely not having. That's mad. Did you mention looping as an option? Not loopy enough. No. Yeah, then it went off the bar, which lends it too much of a violent thing to be a loop. Crashing is as close as we're going to get, I think. There's not that many options available, I have to say. Anyway, let's move on to the wider world of football. Goal hanger podcast fan Michael Cox has sent this in from The Rest Is Politics Leading as ex-Number 10 Supremo John Major is asked a question that can only go one way. The questions that's doing the rounds in schools and
0: universities at the moment, in uh, both history and politics, it seems, is to what extent did the Tories lose the election in 1997 and Labour won it? That is apparently a very common question. So if they wanted to quote the former Prime Minister, who was leader of the Conservative Party at that time, what would your answer be to that? Well, I may be said to have a bias in that question. May I not? May I not? Um, well, I think in all cases, it's 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 a bit of both. <laughs> yeah!
2: <laughs> Sometimes you can see it coming a mile off, Dave, can't you? Yeah, so good. Yeah, he delivered. Um, and to a certain extent, Charlie, um, you can't really argue with that one. It's it's a very bit of bothy question.
1: Yeah, it is the only way he can answer it. Though I imagine it's, it annoyed Alistair Campbell that he did... But that's, that's absolutely Major's right to answer in that way. Fair play as well. That's quite an old episode. Coxie's been trawling through the archive to find that. Could you have a landslide defeat in football? Not in an individual game. And I don't think it
2: works in a league context either. Unless, of course, you, I don't know, you won the league by loads of points the previous season and then fell back quite a lot. I still can't see it being described as such. Right then, time for For My Sins Corner. We had a really nice solid one recently that Charlie nicked by, I think, 0.14 seconds. Um, So let's try and hit those heights again. I'm going to play you a clip from popular culture. One of you is going to try and get there first with when the phrase for my sins is going to be uttered.
1: Here we go.
0: BBC Radio 2. 10 to the
2: top.
1: So we had Steve play the first round of 10 to the top, and now we've got Stephen in Melksham to play. Welcome, Stephen. Nice to have you with us. Good morning, Vernon.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: No, oh, an absolute pleasure. You like your American football. Who's your team?
0: Uh, I've got a couple, but it's got to be, uh, I'm going to say... Um... I'm going to say New
1: Orleans Saints for my Saints
0: I don't know I mean I just watch it on TV and I mean I I thought one day I'd like to go to New Orleans so support New Orleans Saints because they're the team I'm most wanting to see live in America
1: you're a supporter of Bath City and Chelsea as well uh, you're also a self-published author. You've written books about uh, benefits of
0: downsizing in older generations. Tell me about that. Yeah, I've just released it. It's it's, it's called Downsize to Right Size. It's aimed predominantly at sort of over 60s, um, just helping them draw up a roadmap towards downsizing their property. Oh, very good. That's because you're an estate agent. I am. For an my estate sins. Agent. Yeah, for my sins. Oh, very good. Uh,
2: a landslide victory for Dave Walker. <laughs> A superb holding of your composure there. Uh, Charlie, completely forgivable that you went that early. There were so many options. So many that options. An, that was
1: incredible. Also, after I did that New Orleans, I thought the way it was going to go was that he then start talking about music And the For My Sins would be a band or artist that he liked. But God, when he talks about Bath City and Chelsea, and it was all happening. And a self-published author. There's
2: no point trying to recreate what you would have done if play hadn't been halted there, Charlie. Dave ran away with it. How do you feel, Dave? This is probably one of your most emphatic For My Sins victories of all time.
3: Yeah, I thought that was getting away from me, actually. But, yeah, when the, estate, when the estate agent came in. Slam dunk. Yeah,
2: a really good one. Really good one. Right, this question comes from Michael Olmsen. I was watching highlights of the Champions League and the commentator said this for João Cancelo's goal for Barcelona against Porto.
0: João Cancelo. João Cancelo! With magic in his boots. The fullback here with a goal for the photo album.
2: He asks, Charlie... It's difficult to take great still photos of goals. Wouldn't he rather save the video clip? So first of all, that's quite an outdated thing, isn't it? I mean, I suppose you could have had scrapbook, but mm, photo scrap album book. seems a strange one in 2023 for a goal.
1: Yeah, one for the photo. It's not really something you you hear particularly, though, or that you ever heard, especially. I mean, what, what a goal for the photo album. I mean, it's kind of one. I know, I know what he's getting at. one to kind of treasure, <laughs> always, re, always remember. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean yeah scrapbook probably is the the old-fashioned way of saying that one for the highlights reel
2: highlights reel would have been good
1: would be more
3: appropriate these days and and it sort of brings to mind you know, obviously we have one for the cameras with with goalkeepers which is easier it's an easier thing to photograph in a still moment i suppose and do
2: you still think that that's still camp still photography rather than video cameras for uh, goalkeepers? it's a good question probably is a bit of both
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it is a bit of
2: both. <laughs> I was prepared to, to let that element of this slide, Charlie, to get into the wider debate that Michael Olmson raises. He asks, which type of goal is best suited for a still photo? Good question. Mm.
3: Airborne volleys, I guess.
1: I was thinking diving headers, you might get some spectacular shots of that. Yeah, your
3: you show goal a few weeks ago at that sort of spectacular overhead kick, I do think this this goal in in question. So Cancelo is it's kind of an Henri esque goal. This he's cut in from the left, opened his body up, bent it into the far corner. And if you time the photo right, as the after he's struck the ball, it's kind of it's on its way in past the despairing goalkeeper. I think you need the goalkeeper to be dive to have dived in the shot, and and you could possibly still see his the body shape could be quite a good picture something behind the
2: ball as it goes in the goalkeeper in the background flailing the player himself in the far far background beginning the early stages of wheeling away that could be the most photogenic goal of all but yeah airborne volleys I think or diving headers very good shout hope that answers your question Michael right Stephen Cole. Has this headline. It's a very Welsh centric headline to the weekend's football. Uh, it says Welsh stars Ethan Ampadu, Joe Roden and Dan James played starring roles as the Swans came unstuck against Leeds at Elland Road. Stephen Cole asks Dave, what does it mean to come unstuck? It's always used for a loss and not a draw. What are the parameters for its use? Coming unstuck is losing a game against a less fancied opponent, presumably away from home.
3: You can't come unstuck at home, can you? I think you could, maybe. It's sort of like a slip slipping up. It's a slip- up isn't it uh if man city like when they lost to brentford last season at the etihad like that sort of thing they came unstuck
2: it's not particularly spectacular defeat charlie it's not like the world's ended we're in crisis how the hell did we lose to this lot kind of defeat it's just a bit we shouldn't we should you know, can't be losing yeah. these kind of games
1: i think you could draw it if it was in a sort of run in where a draw felt like a loss where it was potentially you know really damaging to a team's chances I think you might say you came, you, you you've come unstuck.
2: If Fulham had held on at Anfield for a three-two win, that would have been Liverpool coming unstuck. Would that would that be acceptable, even at Anfield? I don't know why I'm I'm hammering away at the away. Sort of yeah. angle on this. I don't think it matters, does it?
1: I don't think massively, but I don't know. Maybe it's because come unstuck suggests there's an element of you've been intimidated or you, you've you've sort of struggled in a tough environment. Rather than at home, you kind of just have been outplayed rather than have come unstuck. I feel like would it is there an element of like if Liverpool were two nil up
3: in that game and lost three two, would that be more of coming unstuck? So you would you at two nil you were you had, you were you were holding everything together and then you came unstuck.
1: I, I think But that, that's
3: an implosion I think more
1: Yeah than as a, I was
2: saying
3: As I said that would be Too spectacular To simply be summed up By you know
2: Coming unstuck But we're right to focus On the word though Dave Because um, Stefan continues Surely being stuck Would be a negative So being freed From being stuck Would always be a positive
3: mm. Makes no sense <laughs> But I think it's I think it's more of A Humpty Dumpty situation <laughs> <laughs> You you were as one And now you've You've kind of
1: You've all fallen apart
2: I know it well Yes <laughs> right Okay.
1: (laughs) I mean in in, in my head the natural progression of that is I think it would be like Team X come unstuck as familiar failings rear their head or something or set piece woes continue or something like that it feels like it's some sort of flaw or failing that's been exploited or you know frailty on the road I I like that I like that
2: yeah so it's not just a it's not just a tame defeat you know you know we we weren't weren't quite at the races today and they played well yeah I think a a flaw but not too much of a Keystone Cop situation a similar note really David writes in Charlie says I was just reading on the Guardian website that Inter roared back against Benfica it got me thinking what is the minimum requirement for a roaring how is it different to any other kind of comeback I think this is a fairly open one. I think anybody can roar back. Anyone's eligible to roar back. Margins are fairly open as well. I think minimum of a minimum of two goal deficit to, to climb back against. Is that a roaring? You could roar
1: back from 1-0 down, really, yeah, couldn't you? Yeah, but I think if you roared back from 1-0, you'd have to be winning like 3 or 4-1, possibly even 4-1, because the roaring in that instance is that you've re- you've been sort of Push down and you've responded really strongly. Whereas I think if it's, or it's a kind of your 2 0 down and you come back to win 3 2. You don't need to win 4 2 if you've only been 2 0 down. If you've okay. been 2 0 down.
3: Man United beating Tottenham 5 3 when they're 3 0 down. That's a
2: roaring.
1: That's a roaring, roaring isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: that's a roaring. I mean, I guess you probably want to. On your home grounds, so the the crowd are roaring behind you, propelling you on. So, did Liverpool roar back to beat Fulham, or was that too late? Was it too late to be a roaring? I think it was a late show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A roaring needs to take place over a sustained period of, of clearly dominant ascendancy doesn't it not just I think so because naturally
3: what I hear is roared back in the second half yeah so Liverpool AC Milan even though it was finished 3-0 is that a roaring absolute textbook roaring absolute textbook you know
2: essentially a full 45 minute roaring plus extra time yeah I'm up for that players roar though
1: Charlie managers roar what do they roar roar, sort of defiant vows of we're still in this fight yeah it's become a sort of running joke that of yeah managers roaring when they say quite tame (laughs) things but um
2: (laughs) what's the tamest thing a manager could roar Uh,
1: we're We're hoping to get
2: two or three bodies back this week
1: (laughs) (laughs) and once we do we'll we'll be competitive Uh, there'll definitely be there've definitely been signs of improvement the last few weeks Roared manager X excellent stuff
2: right a triumphant return now for footballers names in things first one comes from Tim Emanuel I was watching an episode of The Bill earlier and this happened thought you might like it
0: Sarge I've got that list of known passport and document forgers. That me It's a thriving industry Luckily I've narrowed it down To how many? One No really I cross-checked this list Against the phone records at will from TIU And there's only one match Trevor Sinclair Now he's fairly new in London And he spent most of his career In Manchester What do you does? Mm, really
2: Extra bit of context oh. I like that He was at Blackpool right? Yeah that, that sort of counts Went to Manchester Lancashire after QPR Yeah in oh. West Ham yeah, that's right. Yeah, sort of works. I can't can't remember what year this episode was, but um, I love their little flourish afterwards, Charlie. That really sort of fleshes out. That suggests it was quite knowing to me.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh,
2: on on a completely tangential note, Dave, um, I don't want to go to the Bill cliches, but I swear 60% of scenes in the Bill start with a door opening like that. Yes. It's just such a Bill sound, isn't it? Sarge? <laughs> Uh, yes, Sarge.
3: is Sarge is just so built. Sarge, so I found something. Built.
2: You might want to take a look at this.
3: Yeah, Sarge. Yeah, I, I haven't watched an episode of The Bill for, I don't know, 25, 30 years, but it was like an old pair of slippers, that. Immediately yeah. back in. Yeah, Memories. straight back in. Right back
2: into the rhythm of it. This is superb. Not quite a footballer's name's in something, but it is brilliant nonetheless. Uh, forget his Dragon's Den unveiling. This came from James Morgan. This is Gary Neville making an unexpected but welcome appearance in episode 5 of Squid Game The
1: Challenge.
2: (laughs) It's the most realistic Neville I've ever heard outside of Neville world. That's brilliant.
1: Insane, yeah.
2: What kind of incident do you think that would be, Charlie? Can we hear it again? again? Do you want to hear it again? yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Maybe it is a referee not playing advantage, Charlie. <laughs> uh, I think. Is it maybe someone like a player has already been booked, they've looked like they're a bit on the edge and they've just gone in and done something silly again and it's, uh, we warned you. The little bit at the end though, the little ooh at the end is when he's seen the replay and it's different to what he thought. The maybe
3: actually it's a dive or something. And uh, yeah. <laughs> he thinks it's a penalty, then he looks like, ooh. I
2: don't so know. so versatile, that noise. It really could be anything. It could be a second yellow, it could be a penalty shout, it could be... Um, goal that might get disallowed could be a bit of violent conduct could be anything um, but yeah there you go Gary Neville in squid game we didn't do dragons then we went weirder even better right speaking of weird here's David Rennie he says I live in Italy at the moment all my highlights are Italian this is Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick for Liverpool as called by Sky Italia commentator Nicola Ruggiero come fatto perché Alexander-Arnold ha mandato the il pallone lì dove la nonna nasconde i di marmellata
3: Pick up on any words there, guys? Two words that I've picked out there. Nonna. (laughs) nonna, And marmalata. Correct.
2: Which,
1: granny's marmalade or something.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, This was before it it emerged that it actually bounced off Bern Leno and went in for an own goal. But at that point, uh, Nicola Ruggiero was convinced that Alexander-Arnold had put the ball in the top corner the postage stamp or where the owl sleeps as we've already established but no nicola raguero says uh which means he sent the ball right there where grandma hides the jam jars <laughs> <laughs> how do we feel about that that's yeah I, I think that's kind of great before pedants get in touch dave uh marmalata can mean jam as well as marmalade i went for jam jars for a more fluid English translation why is, she, why
3: is grandma hiding the jam jars though well, that's what I want to know Winnie the Pooh
1: <laughs> oh that's honey wasn't it same yeah. thing still still sugary still going to go for it isn't he but I like the essence of it yeah even if not necessarily jam jars but just the something that's kind of hit, tucked away in in the furthest recesses of the cupboards very evocative very Italian It's
2: very sort of food advert but if anything Charlie you know grandmas are too generous famously generous yeah so, Not this one. <laughs> no, no. Rules with an iron fist in the Ruggiero household. I sent this, as I always do with these things, to the Athletics' James Horncastle, who um, who quickly informed me, Charlie, that this chap has form for this sort of thing. They, they, we're on to kind of Ray Hudson levels of esoteric language. But I think it's, some of this is really good. I'll give you two examples. So when Granite Xhaka scored Arsenal's fourth in a 4-1 win against Leeds last season... Um, Rogero said, Jacca puts the umbrella in the cocktail, which is pretty cool. That's a cool way of doing it. Now, Charlie, of course, the, the English equivalent of that or the mainstream equivalent of that would be putting the icing on the cake. And I was thinking about that this weekend because a cake, well, at least a celebratory cake, it already, should already have the icing on it. The icing isn't a flourish. It's part of the cake. If the, if the cake doesn't have icing on, then it's not finished. It's, it's not even close to being able to put the flourish on it. So if anything, umbrella in the cocktails better because the umbrella isn't essential to the cocktail, but it does mm. make it look better and in your head taste better.
1: Umbrella in the cocktail is really, really good, yeah. I guess that's where you get the sort of cherry, don't you? I mean, because sometimes commentators will go really in depth on icing on the cake and we've had the icing and now that's the cherry on top. This one, though, Dave, this is this is great just because... It's got such poise to it, and I'm not. I'm
2: can't. I am not i can not i do not know what the scenario it was used in, but it was still great. Brian Ruiz is as useful as wallpaper in some rooms. <laughs> what? I don't know if it's a backhanded compliment or no, not. But is 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 wallpaper always useful, or is it sometimes not useful? Again, a bit of Google translation magic going on here. It, um, the word that I translated from could mean upholstery of any sort. So, I guess, do carpets count as upholstery? They don't, do they? But you could go for upholstery as a general concept here. Brian Ruiz is as useful as upholstery in some rooms. So, there's there's, a, there's an element, Charlie, of giving something to Brian Ruiz. There's a bit of credit there.
3: You just need to be more specific on the rooms. As useful as wallpaper in a
1: conservatory, for example, would not be a good thing. That's that's why I think it's measured. Is it cryptic? Is it? Would we go as far as saying it's cryptic? Is it a coded message to Brian Ruiz?
2: Right, next up... Um, geography dilemma for us now charlie jim mcnulty says i've heard it said of kieran mckenna what a job he's doing down there ipswich surely isn't down there so what are the parameters of up there and down there or what about london south enough to qualify but should never be described as down there i'm not worried about london i I have no concept of whether ipswich
1: is up or down i have to confess And, and certainly not in relation to other clubs well like norwich is north north of birmingham which I like as a geographical fact because one doesn't tend to think of East Anglia as being northern. We, th- we, we focus on the east element, of course.
2: Dave, I can tell you that there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 championship clubs are at a more northern latitude than Ipswich. So if you, I, th- I think it's sensible to take a proportional approach to saying what a job manager X is doing up there, down there by using it as a proportion of how many clubs are
3: more northern than them. Well, have you got this wrong, though? Is it not about geography? Is it more about the person saying this? Are they somebody that would normally frequent the, the Premier League and they're talking about being down there in the, in the the in the championship or below?
2: If so, mind oh. blown. I don't think it's true. I'm not <laughs> going to scoff at it, but I don't think that's the case. I think it is traditionally mean meant, I mean, it's always used for managers down on the South Coast. So Graham Potter, what a, manage, what a job he's doing down there at Brighton. It's definitely a geographic football, but yeah. bloody hell.
1: I mean, I guess, wow. it, it, I mean, actually, because Ipswich is a bit south of Birmingham. nor As I said, Norwich is a bit north of it. But what, yeah, is Birmingham your cutoff point? I mean, we're talking the Midlands, Nottingham, what's... How do you define that?
2: Well, yeah, what was the average vantage point for the person saying it? I mean, that's clearly going to be a London bias to all, all sorts of things like this, including this podcast,
3: clearly. but I do think, I mean, I, I've, which is all I haven't right. got any evidence to back this up, but I'm certain that at some point in history there will have been a pundit talking about, for example, John Coleman of Accrington Stanley and said, <laughs> what a job he's done down there, by the way, like when they were like in League Two or in the conference. I think it can work in that. It may, maybe isn't used, like... Maybe it is more of a geographical thing. Down there in the basement of English football. It can work in that way,
2: I think. So um, maybe there's a third option here, Dave. Maybe it's like the connotation of the word down there. Did you, did you get down there much? Like, Do you get down to uh, that stadium much? And, and there's never an
3: implication of going north or south in that. You never say, oh, do you get up there much? But you do say it. If your neighbour was uh, a Huddersfield fan rather than a QPR fan and you were chatting over the garden fence, would you say, oh, do you get up there much? You'd say that, wouldn't you? Oh, definitely. I would.
2: Yeah, I definitely would. When it when it's that glaring, you'd yeah. probably
3: say down to Loftus Road, even though that's north of where you are as well.
1: Though, so yes, I would. I would do that. There's that weird thing with London, isn't there? About back in the day, about going up to London, down to London, even though it's not up west it shouldn't be. It should be more geographical. But what 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 would you guys say for Luton Town? Would you say Rob Edwards? What a job he's doing up there, or what a job he's doing down there? What a job he's doing up there, up the M1. What a
2: job he's doing there at Kenilworth Road. I, I would I would just <laughs> I would bottle it and I'd just say go, go straight straight to the
1: there. I think <laughs> that really betrays a London bias, doesn't it? it? Does. If you're saying what a job he's doing up there, it you does. know, it's, it's hardly far up. Well, this this is the big this is the big dilemma Ipswich are posing. What
2: if they get up into the Premier League and we have to have this massive discussion next season? Who knows? Right, that's the first half of the adjudication panel taken care of stellar stuff we'll be back very shortly oh, look at that. That is wonderful. right welcome back to football cliches let's get stuck into the second half of the adjudication panel and it's incumbent on us charlie to uh, have a look at the Euro 2024 draw, I only have one question for you, really. What is the most European championshipy group at Euro 2024? So the groups are... Group A, Germany, Scotland, Hungary, Switzerland. Hmm. Group B, Spain, Croatia, Italy, Albania. Group C, Slovenia, Denmark, Serbia, England. Group D, potentially Poland or Wales, Netherlands, Austria and France. Group E... Belgium, Slovakia, Romania, and possibly Ukraine or Iceland. And then Group F, Turkey, Georgia or Greece, Portugal, and Czech
1: Republic. I like Group F, Charlie. That last, that jumped out at me straight away. Less so the playoff winners, but that three is a core. Turkey, Portugal, Czech Republic... That hands down winner for me. Very Euro 2004 specifically, though, isn't it? Yeah, although didn't Port- Portugal and Turkey were in the same group in Euro 96, I think. I, th- I was going to say it's very Euro 96.
3: Oh, it's good to have two. Okay, that's good. I'm and glad. And Portugal and Czech Republic was the famous Poborski goal as well. They played in the quarterfinals. Yeah, in the quarters, yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. Spain, Croatia, Italy being in the same group is too much. It's a bit much, and it's a but it's sort of it's quite Euro twenty twenty. Those three were in Euro twenty twelve,
1: uh, all in the same group. Yeah,
2: England is genuinely quite boring, Dave. No idea who tweeted it. I'm really sorry, but someone said that this this has a Gareth Southgate special written out of it of nil nil one 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 nil. It's it's
3: a really turgid looking group. I mean, Slovenia and Serbia and you know not tremendously exciting opponents, but like tri- but tricky. You know you you couldn't you couldn't be confident of a walkover in either game and and Denmark is that classic thing of we've, we've played them quite a lot Mm. In various formats in the last few years, so it's it is. I think it's I think it's the archetypal uninspiring draw. Okay, we might as well just map out how things
1: are going to go for England then, Charlie. Serbia first up in Gelsenkirchen. Is that going to be? That's a one 0 win. You think? Yeah, I think that's a one 0 win. A fairly early goal. You think England are up and running in Germany, uh, and then you think great, they're going to come out, the floodgates going to open, and then nothing really happens for the rest of the game. And Greedish doesn't get enough minutes and it's all a bit have they got to let the boys off the leash okay so I knew there was going
2: to be an element Dave of letting them off the leash after this game but I thought Charlie would go for a sort of dull draw to get really sort of concerns going but I think England are good enough to win that and they're in a decent state so I think yeah that's okay.
3: harking back to too far away I mean I know obviously we did have that draw against Scotland in the in
1: the Euros in 2021 but in the World Cup we cruised through the groups right well we, did, we drew the second game we drew against USA nil nil after winning 6-2 in the first game we then drew nil nil, and it was a bit of a Reality check. I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Denmark, England,
2: second up in Frankfurt, Dave. That could be the nil-nil. Yeah, and that being the second game, stubborn Danes. <laughs> Could come unstuck, Charlie, against the Danes. Lacklustre England come unstuck in Frankfurt. That's when the clamour would begin, properly begin. Madison has to come in for me. There was a glaring lack of creativity against the Danes. But ahead of what? Who's the last team? Slovenia in Cologne. That will be the edging through... Like job done safely, no no real
1: jitters, but still yet to really fire and sparkle. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be a two niller, I think like a sort of a more a more comfortable, but yet to really convince. But yeah, still haven't, still hasn't clicked. Yeah, okay, okay,
2: okay. Well, that's England's Euro twenty twenty four taken care of already. Don't care about the knockouts. Not as interesting, right. Love this one next from Patrick, who says, I was re-listening to your didn't play for Sam Allardyce's Bolton, but really should have done 11 the other day. And as a Manchester City fan who grew up during the Mark Hughes era, I decided to do a didn't play for Mark Hughes's Man City, but really should have done 11. Uh, A moment of silence for Phil Jagielka and Joe Cole, who just missed out. Enjoy. Right, I'll run you through this then. In goal, Dave, Brad Friedel. I can sort of see it as a kind of stopgap option. A back four, Charlie, of Stephen Warnock, Gary Cahill, Bruno Alves... And Glenn Johnson. Glenn Johnson's quite Man City, Mark Hughes. If things really properly hadn't worked out at Chelsea early doors, he could have gone there.
1: Also, he's got experience of being bought in a kind of splurge after a new owner comes in um, with the Chelsea Abramovich. So he'd, he'd be a useful uh, person to have around the place.
2: Stephen Walker is a great shout because that that sort of mid-2000s era, Dave, if you've got an England cap, you suddenly become hot property in the English premium. Uh, yeah, I totally imagine Man City
3: totally not quite to the point where I'm questioning whether he did or not but certainly enough to make it viable it definitely works I think that that's uh you know the, the Liverpool to Manchester City path in
1: that era was at least partially well trodden and also there's a lot of quite a Blackburn vibe in here which is obviously makes a lot of sense with Mark Hughes means you can see them more and to your point of English players City did sign Wayne Bridge to sort of be that oh, yes. we've got an English left back so yeah, there's all right. sorts going on with Stephen Warnock there uh, a five-man midfield from Patrick here Charlie
2: uh, Luca Modric Kevin Nolan Damien Duff Javier Pastore and Stuart Downing all stand out for various reasons Downing could be very City yeah Downing I think the most of
3: those players Duff is brilliant Duff, Duff would have suited Manchester City more than he suited Fulham which is where, it, which is where he went on to join to great success but he he, yeah I think that's perfect he was and, at Newcastle as well yeah I think was it well, I don't, was it soonest Newcastle or somebody's Newcastle
2: yeah that's a that's a coin toss No. Nolan, I don't see, I have to say, Charlie. I think they would have gone for someone I mean, as effective as he was in the Premier League, I just can't see mm. Man City, a moneyed Man City in
1: any yeah. iteration going for a Kevin Nolan. Yeah, I know what you mean. He's not he's not glamorous enough. I
3: don't know though. Yeah. I think I think you're allowed one of those signings as a manager. He would say, you know, you can hear the pundits going, yeah, you know, we've had all the Rabinios and everyone's been brought in, but Hughes wanted his man. He wanted somebody like Nolan in the park just to keep that
2: experience. Yeah. Yeah, he would have trusted him, a very trusted lieutenant. Uh, Ploughing a lone furrow. Up front, David Villa.
1: I see the logic as the kind of Rubinho equivalent, but I just think Villa was too good at this point. For I don't that think City. Could, of City. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they could have quite got him. I don't They know, would but have tried. I'm sure they did try. It's
3: not like he. The thing with David Villa, though, that gives it a chance, and I'm not. Not hundred percent certain on the years here, but he, he wasn't like he was a Barcelona youth product or who who started at, the, at a big club and went straight into the first team. He did he did play for Zaragoza, I think. I saw him score for for, for Zaragoza at Vicarage Road actually in a preseason friendly once, um, which is why I'm
1: remembering it. But like, <laughs>
3: so I think you could potentially have snapped him up
1: before but he was hit at, the big he, time. He, he was established at Valencia by this point. I think he was just t- and, and was banging them in for them in, sort of cha- in the Champions League and La Liga. I hit and miss 11 then, Patrick, but a worthy
2: a worthy pursuit nonetheless, right up our street. Final item for the adjudication panel this week is from Space Heater. He says, I heard Bernardo Silva described as the Portuguese maestro on Match of the Day, Dave. It made me wonder, does a player have to be under six foot to be described as a maestro? Can you have a lanky maestro? I think this is incidental. I don't think it's... It's not subject to the same laws as magician. you can be you can't be a big magician, but I think you can be a tall maestro. If anything it, it can often lend itself graceful running well, games.
3: Well, you say that? Oh no our friends at classicfm.com might disagree. So I've had a, look, a little look. <laughs> our friends at ClassicFM. All things classical. Uh, Mozart five foot four. <laughs> Beethoven five foot two. Ravel five foot two. Schubert five foot one. <laughs> There's 11 composers on this list, and only two of them are above six foot. You've got Prokiev, six foot three, and Rachmaninoff at six foot six, but all the
1: rest of them Massive are hitters, big diminutive, hitters. diminutive figures. You can't rule out Provokiev and Rachmaninoff. How dare you? Also, people were shorter back then. You know, Absolutely. Pa- pa- Absolutely. Tiny fuckers. In today's money... <laughs> Further evidence, Leonard
3: Bernstein, who is who is being played by Bradley Cooper in a film called Maestro, five foot
1: five. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I, I do think... People lean towards that, rightly or wrongly. I think in football as well, you mentioned the magician. I do think that's because a lot of people use them semi-interchangeably, right. even though they shouldn't. I just think there's an association. <laughs> but but then, just trying to think of tool maestros, I mean, Zidane, would he be
2: one? I think Zidane was a maestro, definitely. I do get the preoccupation because, you know, having a low centre of gravity is clearly very compelling in these situations they can conjure something with those tiny dancing feet but I think you can be a big maestro if you're running games and I think Zidane
1: sort of fits that Bellingham could be a maestro it is a weird one because you should yeah you should be running the show I mean that's kind of the whole point there's an element of authority about being a maestro isn't Modric there? is a maestro isn't he yeah, Mo- yeah Modric yeah yeah yeah, the little maestro. He's quite,
3: he's quite composer-y as well, isn't he? Yeah, Rositsky was nicknamed Little Mozart. Oh, so if you have
2: to, if you have to qualify it, how tall was Mozart again? Five foot four. One man of the match, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little Mozart, even smaller. Actually, he wasn't smaller than him. Wow. Anyway, speaking of um, little men with big jobs, it's time for Keys and Gray <laughs> Corner. <laughs> Sunday. Back with a bang this weekend and a very eventful Premier League weekend and boy were keys in grey across it I've picked two clips to really sum up their weekend First of all um, some technological debates really this is on match balls it starts off Charlie with the worst quiz of all time and then ends up in a sprawling mess of deliberate misunderstanding of patent law and contract law
0: We automated yes. sides what ball do we use at the World Cup? what board? Ball. Again, Mitre? Adidas. Right. Adidas. Champions League ball? Adidas? Adidas. Premier League ball? Adidas? Nike. No, Adidas. Nike. Nike. So, sorry. So, so what, it is in the, the Adidas ball? ball that the chip and the technology ah. to provide automated offsides is placed and exists and Nike don't have that technology. So I am reliably informed. <laughs> um Wow Um, So therefore We have to Something as simple as that You can't fix it It's extraordinary isn't it Amazing Amazing And And you think of the consequences That that it's had Yeah But but Premier League Are contracted to Nike Until the end of the season When I believe going forward It'll be a Puma ball That we'll be using From next season And on With a chip in it Well we don't know do we They'll have to put the chip You'll get chip During Champions League World Cup Euros Euros Coming up next year yeah Yeah definitely I'll get it in Euros But not in the Premier League the biggest and most successful Connect. league in the world. They should have everything. Yeah. And, and it's not.
2: <laughs> I mean lots to enjoy there Charlie, but a, a huge indication there that Andy Gray has just checked out. Completely checked out of this. Great. Uh, Keys is just running the show. He is
1: the maestro. He is yeah. I love one of my favorites is Gray's Miter. Yes. Just because it's so completely betrays where his head's at, which is the mid 90s. And I completely can identify with that. Miter? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mitre, have, have never been the official supplier of the match balls any international tournament at the top level. Not having it, I wish it were different, Charlie. I wish Mitre were still top of the tree, but no, it's the big ones now. Right, next up, it always comes to this, but this, this really was the peak of this sub-genre from Richard Keys. Here he is on the ongoing malaise at Old Trafford.
0: So, what is the answer? To what has happened at Manchester United, I thought about that a lot, and here is my theory, Go on. or maybe indeed an answer for Manchester United. So, if you, were, <laughs> if you were given the chief job there, what would you do then? Right now, yes, I would thank the current coach mm-hmm. um, for his time. Yes. Uh, if I couldn't go out and get my target immediately, I would I would then be treading water until I can. But the man that I think Manchester United should go... We, we had said yesterday, United are no longer in a position whereby if top players become available, they're going to sign for United. They're just not. They're just not going to sign for Manchester United anymore. They can't go out and do what they once did, which was sign everybody else's best player, just because it weakened the opposition and they could you know, maybe put them in amongst a squad of 22 for a little while and hope perhaps they had something to contribute. In my view, Manchester United should go now to Leverkusen and they should say to Jabi Alonso... No chance. We want you to come to Old Trafford. We will give you Saudi League money and we will guarantee you five years, which Fergie had when he first went to Manchester United. Whatever else happens, you've got five years to sort this out for us. And he, he for me, is the individual, the coach, the person that might just be able to no get chance. something going. He wouldn't go there. Why? Why wouldn't he go there? Because I think he'd have aspirations of Real Madrid, Liverpool. Um, I think Manchester United right now is not a job for him. Why? At this moment in time, because he doesn't. He, he doesn't need that stress. He's not walking into a club where I think he'd rather the Chelsea job than Manchester United. I think that's a that would be more suitable for Xabi Alonso I, honestly honestly Manchester United is a mess from top to bottom that's the point so Jabby, you've done well, a he's gonna sort job it job since you started coaching not a chance. everything you've touched has, has not turned to gold no, but it's got better guarantee five years there's no guarantee five years Saudi well, league money so we're actually going out on a limb here and then over a period of, Yorkie you're looking at me blank what do you think <laughs> so Yorkie's just it's coming to terms as, as well, well. Yeah.
1: Alonso trying that's to get in head where is that where no is that experience. all coming from? You because know he's, I mean? he is,
0: right now, the, the next best young thing on <laughs> the scene. And he is getting mentioned. Better than Based visited. on what? Yeah. Based on what? He's getting, he's getting mentioned as a successor to Ancelotti and Klopp okay. and Guardiola. What's your favourite bit?
1: Like, Well, I think the, um, where's this all coming from, <laughs> the yours is up there with McAteer's famous, why? I mean, it's just an incredible, like... That is the question we've been asked, What is this about? It's just an extraordinary, I mean, stream of consciousness, though he's obviously thought about it quite a lot. I think it's a PB for Keezy Dave to have two people just
2: staring at him blankly going, What are you talking about? Not that it was completely outlandish. I mean, he, he you know, he, he backed it all up. It was a good, I mean, it wasn't a completely outlandish name. It wasn't Roberto Martinez or anything like that. But I
3: think my No, stat- the name wasn't. The, no. the kind of structure that to go with it was. But well, it, it was quite, punch. yeah. It's quite a progressive uh, view from for Keezy. Xabi Alonso is the sort of name you'd expect the uh, the stats nerds to be to be pushing for these sorts of jobs. Uh, Kizi normally would go go with what he knows. The five years thing. You're telling me that if if Xabi Alonso gets this job, got this job somehow in the summer or whatever, and it was all going to shit come next <laughs> December, you would you wouldn't be saying
1: it wouldn't be in his blog. Yeah, you well, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't be saying don't worry, Xabi, Xabi a loser. Get him out of that club.
3: Uh, before we
2: tear apart some of these details, you have to remember the context in which it's being delivered. I think at first, Gray sort of gives him carte blanche and says, right, you're in charge of Man United, what would you do? And then Kizi ignores that and basically starts talking like a management consultant who's been drafted in to tell Man United what to do, exactly like he, I think he would actually say if he was. I think my favourite bit, Dave, is where he's assessing Alonso's impact at Leverkusen and says that everything he's done has been, well, hasn't turned to gold, yes, but, but he amazing, has got That's amazing, that bit. That's, <laughs> that, that, that's so just, good. That's the sprinkling of partridge that you need I think yeah it's just that just the checking of himself and styling it out I just think it's just utterly superb yeah and then on top of that the the slight irritation when anyone challenges him
3: on anything like McCarthy is saying he wouldn't. He wouldn't go there. Why not? Why wouldn't he go there? Because one minute he's saying the top players are just not going to go. They're just not going to go there. Yeah. And then he says that this guy who's who's been fated as the you know the the, the yeah. as he says the next best young thing, not even the next big thing, the next best young thing, <laughs> which <would, Best> young thing <laughs> would go
1: there. There are two things amazing as well with that. Uh, not quite gold is that Gray really earnestly responds to that as well. Like, no, 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 like, As as if that is like they are really gonna. Get into what he's turned it to. The other thing I, that I am just really curious about, like Dave says, Shabby Alonso is a is a weird one for keys to come out with. So I'm just really fascinated as to what is it about Alonso that is it that he likes Alonso's look and that he thinks you know he's you know he, he he's got something about him. Well, this like, is it.
2: I mean, as we all know from sort of the the body of his work on being sports from the last year or so, the one thing he values over anything else at a management is someone who's got a big character, a big personality. Yeah, and that's what so I suppose- think he. Actually-
1: Alonso has he has that kind of statesman like kind of stature about him already won everything played for big clubs yeah yeah I suppose so he's got that he's got gravitas big things at the big moments at big clubs on big nights and I think he's ready for the big job and there we are
2: Saudi money <laughs> where's that coming from by the way <laughs> hilarious absolutely brilliant what a return to form for being in sports generally and brilliant stuff thanks to you Charlie Eccleshire thank you thanks to you Dave Walker thank you thanks to everyone for listening we'll be back On Thursday. See ya.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.